fell on his neck and kissed him and they wept. Heavenly our Father, I just pray right now that you would speak to us through your word. That through this scripture we would come to know you. Those of us who are struggling with knowing you, your word is alive, it's active. And I pray that your spirit would move now in this place. And that we would leave here, God, connecting with who you are. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen and amen and amen. You can be seated. This past week, I have been staying up late watching the Astros. They've been playing late games. It's, it's been a pretty interesting week because the Astros are trying to get into the playoffs, and I was on the couch earlier this week by myself watching the game, and I was starting to get a little tired, and I decided I'm going to probably take a nap right here because we're in like the fourth inning. I can take a nap, and we'll come back around the seventh inning, and then things will be a little bit better. Well, have you ever had a nap that lasted hours? That nap where you're trying to get 20, and you realize it's 4 in the morning when you wake up, and you're, you got all the energy you ever wanted. You don't even know what day it is. It's that kind of nap. That's the kind of nap I took. And here's the issue, is whenever I sleep, I have to put in my AirPods and listen to things. I struggle to sleep if I don't have my AirPods in, and if I'm not listening to a podcast, if I'm not listening, put me to sleep. It's weird. I was listening to this podcast of this man who is known for going into the Amazon rainforest. Super popular he had a TV show that was, I think it was called uh, Eaten Alive, when an anaconda tries to swallow you alive. He is well known for his experiences in the Amazon rainforest. And I love hearing his stories about indigenous people and living in the Amazon rainforest. And it always puts me to sleep. The problem was that this night, I had a dream. And in that dream, I was wrestling an anaconda. In that dream, I remember being in the rainforest, in, covered with mud, and in the middle of like this, this paddy filled with like trees and water and moss, and, and I could see an anaconda swimming in the water. And in my dream, I was afraid. Have you ever seen the movie Anaconda from like the, like the 2000s? Terrible movie, Ice Cube is in it. I don't know, like Jennifer Lopez is in this movie. Awful movie. But I felt like I was in that movie, and, and I knew in this dream, I, I'm going to have to wrestle this anaconda. And in my dream, I, that's what I do. I actually wrestle this anaconda, and I'm on its back, and I'm holding on to it, and I'm wrestling with it and wrestling with it. And in my dream, I'm actually winning, and so in my dream, I'm kind of feeling good about the fact that I'm, I'm wrestling this anaconda and winning. And then all of a sudden, I wake up from this dream because I fell off of the couch, and what I saw was that I was wrestling with the blanket, and at the top of the blanket was the pillow, and I had been in my sleep, 
wrestling with the blanket and the pillow thinking it was an anaconda because I was listening to a podcast about a guy who was, don't watch what you listen to before you go to bed. It'll mess with your dreams. I woke up, it was four in the morning looking around, really believing I was in the, the rainforest and, and I realized how embarrassed I was when I looked up and my son Ezra is standing there with a blanket over his head and he's looking at me and he's like, Dad, are you okay? I said, go back to your room, what are you doing up? Because this is the time I always wake up. 4 a.m.? You don't wake up at 4 a.m. I wake up every morning at 4 a.m. and watch it. But, dude, something's wrong with your sleep schedule. You're going to appreciate sleep once you get older. Go to bed. It's funny because there I was wrestling with my blanket and this pillow. And it's a funny story that I tell you because in the, in the last chapter, we, we, we saw Jacob, and he was wrestling in chapter 32. But in, in chapter 32, Jacob was wrestling with God. Famous story. Jacob wrestles with God. We're in chapter 33 now. And now we see that Jacob is no longer wrestling with God. Now he's wrestling with himself. And I believe that some of you in here, if you were honest with yourself, you would say that, like me, at home, resting my blanket, you wrestle too. You may not wrestle with a blanket or a pretend anaconda, but you wrestle with your thoughts. You wrestle with, with yourself. You, you have doubts in your life about who you are, about what God says about you, about your future. You have doubts that keep you up on that. You have things that you wrestle with every single day. We all struggle, and we all have things that we doubt we meet Jacob in chapter 33, and he's done wrestling with God, but now he's wrestling with himself. And if you come here today and you know what it's like to wrestle, to wrestle with your past, to wrestle with the difficulty of trusting God with the future that he's promised you through his word, to wrestle with whether or not God really can love you because of the things that you've done in your life, then I think that you're going to see something about God today. And I think we'll leave out here tonight not wrestling anymore, but having confidence in who our God is and what he says about us. The Bible says in Genesis chapter 33, Jacob is done wrestling with God. He wrestled with him in 32, and now he is on his way back to the promised land and he has his family with him. And as he has his family with him, he knows he's going to have to encounter Esau. And he is so afraid of this encounter with Esau because he knows that he robbed Esau of his blessing. He robbed Esau of the right that he has to have the birthright and blessing from his father. And he's been on the run from Esau for 21 years. And now he's on his way back home. And he knows he's going to have to confront his past. And maybe you know what it's like to have the fear of one day having to confront the things that you did wrong in your past. If we're honest, most of us are afraid of the day Jesus comes back because we're afraid of having to come face to face with our mistakes, face to face with the things that we're ashamed of. And this scripture is here to teach us that we can have 
confidence in that moment. And just like the Bible tells us that we can look forward to the coming of Jesus because we're assured of what Jesus has done for us, I believe this scripture will encourage you tonight. It says here in verse 1 in chapter 33, it says, Then Jacob, after wrestling with God, raised his eyes and looked, and behold, Esau's coming. This is a big moment. He's been running from his brother for 21 years, and this is the battle. This is the moment. He's heard that Esau has 400 men, and he believes that Esau is ready to kill him the moment he sees him. In chapter 32, we saw that Jacob had a plan. The plan that Jacob had was he was going to set up his family in, in, a, in a specific order so that in case Esau did attack him, at least half of his family would be saved. We see that Jacob is selfish. He is still a manipulator. He is still a liar in chapter 32. He is still only looking out for himself. And so he sets, he's looking at setting up this, this structure to save himself. In chapter 32, it actually tells us that he wants to stay in the very back of the caravan, so in case Esau attacks in the front, he can escape. And now we're at the place where he's been blessed by God in chapter 32. I, I don't know if you remember that, but the Bible says he, he asked God, he said, I, I, he begged him, I will not let you go unless you bless me, and God blessed him. He has the blessing of God himself, and yet he still has to deal with with a problem. Here's what I've learned in life, that you can be blessed and still face problems. You can be blessed and still face trouble. You can still get the blessing of God and still deal with the trouble of the world, still with the trouble that comes around you. And just because you deal with trouble doesn't mean you're not blessed. Just because you deal with with, with enemies or people or physical things that come after you, it doesn't mean that God is not for you. And, and even more deeply in here, we see that Jacob is wrestling with not just Esau, but with himself. Because he doesn't feel worthy. Because he knows who he is. He knows the struggle that he's had in the past, and because of that, he does not feel worthy to be carrying the promise of God. And maybe you've wrestled with that. Maybe, maybe you wrestle with, am I good enough to be saved? Am I good enough to be God's child? Am I, the mistakes I continually make that I thought I was over, does it, does it, does it disqualify me from God's promise for me to have eternal life and for him to call me a son and a daughter? If we're honest, those are things we wrestle with. The doubts. Here's Jacob, and he's blessed, and yet he still has to wake up and deal with the problem. I think that that shows some courage on his part. I think it shows some courage, and I think it, it teaches us that we have to still wake up and face the day. We have to still, no matter how difficult it gets, have enough courage to wake up and do what God has called us to do, to look at this life and not be afraid of what it, what's in front of us because we know we have God with us. That's what's happening with Jacob. It says, he looked up and he saw Esau coming 
and 400 men are with him. The story that he heard about his brother is true. He really does have 400 men, and he really is coming after him. At this point, I wonder how afraid he is. The Bible says, so because he saw that, he got to work. It says, he saw it, so. So he divided the children among Leah and Rachel and the two slave women. He put the slave women and their children in front and Leah and her children next and Rachel and Joseph last. Do you notice what's happening here? He is still creating an order. But now it is even more obvious what Jacob is trying to do. Jacob has now set up this caravan in the order of importance to him. In the order of what he finds valuable, he has set up this caravan to come up and meet Esau. He is, he is determined to save what he loves most. And by looking at this, we can see what he loves most. The very people that he puts in the back, which is Rachel and Joseph. Now, if you know the Bible any, you know that Joseph has 11 brothers, and they're older than him, and they're all sons of Leah. And if you know the Bible, then you know that one day, these 11 brothers are going to be so jealous of Joseph that they're going to throw him in a pit, and they're going to sell him to Egyptian slave owners. And Joseph's going to be sold into slavery, and that's the story of Joseph. Right here, we already see the way Jacob is dealing with his family and how unfair he is. And we can already see, can you imagine being the 11 brothers? Knowing and seeing that your father has chosen your younger brother over you and has positioned you in a place so that you would die and not him. When you look at this story, you see more than just what I believe is Jacob saving the son he loves most, which is Joseph. I actually think you see so much more here because this family now sees the favoritism. This family, now they see that they're not really that loved by Jacob. I wonder if you've ever felt that before in your life. I wonder if you've ever felt like there's no way God can love you as much as someone else. I wonder if you ever looked at your life and thought you don't have the favor someone else has, or that maybe God plays favoritism with other people and not you. When you look at this scripture, it's very difficult not to see what Jacob is doing here. Jacob is working to save the son that he loves. He is putting it to the back because it is the most important. Listen, when I go to the grocery store and when I only have cash, I don't have my debit card, I don't have, you know, my Apple Pay is not working and I only have cash, and, and, I, and I am trying to buy my groceries, I put the most important groceries first. Because I know, like, I, I gotta get the meat, I gotta get the water, I gotta get the vegetables, I'm gonna leave the Pringles last. I'm going to leave the Doritos last because I have to make sure that I get these things first. And if, if I have to cover the cost for that first and not these. 
Jacob is doing the opposite. He's putting what's important at the end because he's willing to sacrifice that other family members as long as it saves Rachel and as long as it saves Joseph. When, when I look at this, I see something pretty interesting. I don't know if you see it, but when I saw it, I got really excited. I got really excited because if you look at the order here, you see something connected to a very key word here that I want to show you. It says, so he divided the children among Leah, Rachel, and the two slave women. And here's the order. He put the slave women and their children in front, and Leah and her children next, and Rachel and Joseph last. So who are the first to go? The slaves. What's another word for slaves? In biblical times, servants. So all of the servants and their children are being sacrificed. All of the servants are being sacrificed for the sake of his son. I don't know if you see it yet, but I want to see if I can break it down a little bit. It says the servants are being sacrificed for the sake of a beloved son. The servant went first so that they would be sacrificed to save the family that Jacob loved. Now, I don't know if you've ever read this verse, but the Bible tells us this about Jesus in Mark 10, 45. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. The Bible tells us in Mark that Jesus is a servant, and then if you look in the book of Philippians, there's a, a scripture that most scholars would connect to this Greek word called the kenosis. The kenosis meaning the emptying out of. Jesus emptying himself of power so that he could become a man because Jesus was a part of the Godhead. And look what it says in Philippians 2.7. I'll read it. It's not on, the, not on the screen. Although Jesus existed in the form of God, he emptied himself taking the form of a servant. Jesus is a servant. Isn't it funny that in Exodus chapter 33, we see that servants were gonna be sacrificed in order to save a beloved son. And yet the Bible tells us that Jesus is a servant. And Jesus actually sacrificed himself to save you and to save me. This is a picture of the gospel. The fact that Jesus, being a servant, gave himself up for you and for me. The fact that Jesus, being God, emptied himself and humbled himself in such a way that you and I could be saved, and it only came because he sacrificed himself for us. I don't know if you see it, because if you saw it, I think you'd be shouting me down. This scripture is saying that the servants went first. The servants went first in order to sacrifice themselves for the life, Jesus went first. Jesus came down and he died for you and me. Jesus put his life on the line to save you and me. Jesus came down and he saved us even though we are not worthy, even though we are not good enough. Jesus decided, I'm gonna die for you. I'm gonna be the servant that like this line, and I'm gonna be the first in line to take the punishment for you, to protect you, to cover you, to make sure you're saved. 
That's the gospel. The gospel is that Jesus is the servant, that Jesus is the savior, that Jesus did this for you and for me, and that you and I, even though we don't deserve it, now we get to be called sons and daughters. Just like the sons of Leah and the sons of Rachel. Bible says that they went first. They went first. It's funny because he's assigning value and he's saying the, the thing I love most is last. Isn't there a scripture that says the last shall be first and the first shall be last? God is so good to us and that we don't deserve what he does for us and that there is power in the truth that our, our Savior became a servant in order to save us. The Bible says that they went in front and Leah and the children next, Rachel and Joseph last. This is to me an incredible, an incredible moment where we get to see the gospel. The family here, they see the favoritism of Jacob and then it moves into this in verse three. But he himself passed on ahead of them and bowed down to the ground seven times until he came near to his brother. Now we don't see Jacob hiding in the back. Jacob is now moving to the front. Jacob is different now because now he's wrestled with God and God has given him confidence. Confidence enough to be the first in line. I just want to tell you that when you meet God, something changes in your life. And if you weren't confident before, there's confidence that can come if you trust in what he does for you. See, Jacob just had his whole identity changed in chapter 32. He went from being Jacob, the manipulator, to Israel, the one who strives with God. You and I, if we would just believe in the work of Jesus and what he's done for us, if you and I, we would just hold on tightly to what Jesus has done for us, maybe we'd have a little bit more confidence in our life. Maybe we wouldn't be so afraid. Maybe instead of being like Jacob used to be where he would want to hide and be at the very back of the line, now because we know what Jesus has done, what he's accomplished, how he's taken care of us, how he loves us and how he cares for us, now we can face this world with confidence and we don't have to be afraid anymore. I think that's why the Bible tells us over and over again, be courageous, do not be afraid. Because if we're courageous, it's because we are believing in what God has done for us. Here's Jacob, and now he's coming to the very front. And, and the Bible says he bows down seven times, seven times. The, word, the, the number seven is, is the number for completion. And what he's trying to show here is I am completely submitted to you. This is a funny thing because Jacob is in line to take everything. He's very wealthy at this point. He has everything he could ever want. He's a very old man, and he's going to take the land that God promised him, and yet he's walking in like a servant. He says, I am completely, I'm submitted to you, Esau. I, I don't think he's doing that because he's, he really believes that he wants to serve his brother. I think he's doing that, the, the scripture will teach us, because he's afraid. He's courageous, and he's afraid at the same time. And let me tell you, that's kind of how we have to do this life. We have to deal with courage and we have to deal with fear at the same time. We have to trust God enough to do the things that we're afraid to do, 
because we believe in him and also do with the little bit of fear that's inside of us. He's bowing down seven times until he comes near to his brother. And then it says this in verse 4. This is shocking. It says, then Esau ran to meet him. Esau initiates this contract right now. He initiates this. It says, Esau ran to meet him and embraced him and fell on his neck and kissed him. And they wept. I, I have to believe Jacob saw his brother running and he was panicking. Panicking, because here is his men in the Bible at this age, they are, they don't run. Listen, I don't run on the daily, but these men, they don't run. It was out of the culture for them to run. They just, they have servants that do their bidding. They have servants that run to do it. And yet Esau, he runs. So either, if I'm Jacob, I'm wondering, is my brother that upset at me that he is running towards me and he's going to kill me the moment? Can you imagine the, the moment of waiting for his brother to hug him? That's what's happening. Esau is running and he's coming after his brother. And the Bible says he met him and he embraced him, and he fell on his neck, and he kissed him, and they wept. Now look, I don't want you to miss it here, but this language here is very specific. So specific that it's actually mirrored in the Bible. In another occasion in the book of Luke, almost exactly the way this is written. So here we see that Jacob sees his brother Esau, and Esau comes running after him, and the Bible says he hugs him, falls on his neck, and is just kissing him over and over and over, so much so I can't imagine what Jacob is feeling. He went from being afraid to having a release, because the brother that he thought hated him, the brother that he thought would kill him, is now embracing him and, and kissing him and showing him affection. He starts to cry. They cry. Every time I read this, I cry because it's God showing us the, the restoration power that he has, the ability to forgive us, the ability to love us even though we make mistakes. Here is, here is Jacob, and he's being hugged, and he's kissed. By his brother. It reminds me of the story of the prodigal son. Do you know the story of the prodigal son? Jesus is teaching in Luke chapter 15 about, uh, uh, about a, a father whose son takes all of their possessions. He takes half of his inheritance and he goes to another land and he squanders it all. And the Bible says that son is so ashamed because of what he's done. Does it sound familiar? I think it sounds a whole lot like Jacob. He's, he's ashamed because of all he's done. The Bible says the son says this in, in, in chapter 15 verse 18. It's not on the screen. Just listen. It says, I, I, I need to speak to my father. I'm going to go and I'm going to tell him, Father, I've sinned against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. So make me one of your servants. The, the son says, I am not worthy to be called a son. So I, I have to earn it back. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell him I have this speech written out. Have you ever made a mistake so bad that you've decided, okay, I'm going to apologize, and I'm going to make sure that my apology hits these three points. Husbands, you know, you already have it down. 
You know what you have to say. You know what you have to do. You know that you have to go get some quesadillas. You know you got to bring some good food. And you know you got to do that apology the right way. That's exactly what the prodigal son is saying in Luke 15. He's saying, I'm going to go to my father and I'm going to tell him, I, I sinned against you and I sinned against heaven. I, I, I don't deserve to be your son anymore. So since I've lost my sonship, can you at least make me a slave so that I can earn back your love? The Bible says that that son then goes on his way to meet his father, and the Bible says that when the father saw him, it says in verse 20, his father saw him, felt compassion for him, and ran and embraced him and fell on his neck and kissed him, and they wept. It's the same language. It's the same language. I think Jesus is trying to remind the people in Luke what, what the Bible is telling us in Genesis chapter 33, that you and I, we fail. We mess up. We don't get things right. As much as we try to get things right, we fail because God, did you know that God doesn't want you to be better? He wants you to be perfect. Jesus told the Pharisees, that the standard is perfection. He said, be holy as God is holy, or else you can't enter into heaven. Now, that's an impossibility. It's an impossibility, and that's why Jesus came and he lived a perfect life for us, so that we wouldn't have to live that perfect life so that he could take our place and so that he could please God with the perfect life. Jesus is saying, you can't be perfect. The only standard to get into heaven is perfection. You will never make that happen. But I did. I was perfect. And because I was perfect and because I died for you, now you have a chance. If you would just believe in me, you'd be saved. So this same language Jesus is saying, just like that son said, I'm going to go back to my father and I'm going to beg him to make me a slave because I don't deserve it. I bet some of you pray like that. I bet some of you think about your interactions with God and you take it on that level. Okay, God, I know I failed, but if you just give me one more chance. God, I know I told you I wouldn't do that anymore. I promised you that I would be a little bit more faithful in this and I didn't do it. But God, if you just, if you just give me one more chance, I'll prove it to you. And just like this son is trying to prove to his father that he deserves to be back in the house by becoming a slave, you and me, we try to prove it to God. God, I promise you I'm going to come to church more often. God, I promise you I'm going to try and do better. And listen, being better is not bad. Being better is not bad. It's just not what God is looking for. He is looking for perfection. And you and me, we can rest on the fact that Jesus did that and accomplished that for us. So yes, we should strive to be better, but it doesn't win us. It doesn't win us any, it doesn't win us salvation. It doesn't win us eternity. Belief in Jesus wins us eternity. Belief in Jesus, the Bible says, faith saves us. So here it is, it's saying that this man, 
This man is seeing his son come, and his son has this speech ready, and he's ready to tell his father, Father, I have sinned against you in heaven. I don't deserve to be your son, so please let me be a part of your your hired men. And he's rehearsed this over and over again. And while he is ready to give God this speech, to give the father back this, spoiler alert, the father is a picture of God, just so you know. He is ready to give him this speech. It says that the father runs. He embraces him. He kisses him, and he loves on him because that's his son. It's his son. It doesn't matter if you failed. It doesn't matter if you struggle. You're my son, and nothing can change that. That's what it's trying to teach us in Luke. Isn't it funny that that's the same wording that's happening in Genesis chapter 33? Here is Jacob, and, and, and then here comes Esau, and Esau falls on him, and he kisses his neck. And he loves on him. I need you to understand this, and you just see what's happening here. Kissed him, and he wept. He raised his eyes in verse 5. Don't miss it. He raised his eyes, and he saw the women and the children. And he said, this is, this, is, this is Esau. He looks up, and he sees the kids. He said, who are these children with you? He said, these are the children whom God has graciously given to your servant. Notice Jacob's changed. He realizes that everything he gets comes from the grace of God. He didn't earn it. Grace means it's nothing that you deserve or earn. He's saying everything I have, listen, everything you and I have comes by the grace of God. Everything that we have is because God is gracious and he's good and he's patient and he's kind. He says this selfish man has finally changed. He's in his 80s. Listen, it's not too late for you. It's not too late for you to make a change. It's not too late for you to understand how good God has been for you. It says, he says, these are the children that God has graciously given your servant. Then the slave women came forward with their children, and they bowed down. And Leah likewise came forward with the children, and they bowed down. And afterward, Joseph came forward with Rachel, and they bowed down. You know what's happening here? This is a standard military process when one when one army one rival army is is giving up to another one the leaders would come and they would bow down they would say we give up we're powerless we can't do it they were prepared because they thought they're going to get killed they're coming how many of you are that afraid of god how many of you are that afraid of, of having to deal with the sins of your life. You've already set yourself up. You know how you're going to approach God. You know what you're going to say on that day. You know how you're going to try to convince him. This is here so that we can have confidence that we don't have to think that way. It says that they bow down and they bow down. And in verse 8, Esau said, and he said, what do you mean by all of this company which I have met? Why are you bringing all these people to me? Esau's confused. He says, why though? Why are you bringing all of this to me? Like why? Look at Jacob. And he said, because I'm trying to find favor in the sight of my Lord. If this isn't you and me, I don't know what it is. Esau's like, Why are you bringing all of this to me? I'm confused. Jacob's like, because I want you to like me. 
I want you to forgive me. I, I, I want to find favor in your eyes. I don't want you to be angry with me anymore. Did, Esau was not anticipating any of this. Esau was coming to help his brother. Esau was coming to love on his brother. Esau was not thinking about revenge or anger or killing them. Esau's mind was set on loving on his brother. What if I told you that the way you think of God and the way he thinks of you is wrong? What if I told you that you believe that God is so angry with you? You believe that God is waiting for you to show him all that you've accomplished, everything that you've done. Look at everything that I've done, God. Look at all of the things I've accomplished for you. Look at my degree and look at the money I donated and look at the time I've been to church and the people that I've helped. And God's like, what is this for? Why are you bringing this to me? You know why I can tell you that God is thinking that way? Because Jesus already did it all. Because Jesus already accomplished everything that we need to find favor in the sight of God. And so many of us, we're, we're, we're hoping that one day we're going to find favor with God. And I think that one day God's going to be like, well, this doesn't matter. None of this matters. What matters is what my son did. What matters is that my son died on the cross for you. What matters is, is that he loved you so much so that he died for you. We're, we're trying so hard to please God, and yet we don't see that he loves us. John, 1 John 4.19 says, we love because he first loved us. He first loved us. Romans 5.8 said, God demonstrates his own love for us in this way, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Even though we don't get it right, even though we, listen, this is such a deep, real theological teaching that I need you to understand. Because I know you're afraid that your mistakes are going to cancel the promise that God has for you for salvation. I know that you feel like the mistakes that you make is going to cancel everything that God says he will do for you through his justification and his sanctificational work. You don't think you're enough. You're like that prodigal son. God, just make me a servant and let me earn it back. Let me show you. He goes, what do you mean that you brought this to me? He says, to find favor in the sight of my Lord, verse 8. Verse 9, but Esau said, I have plenty. My brother, let what you have be your own. He's saying, listen, this is not an exchange. This is not you giving me a blessing so that then I could give you a, that's not how this works. I already have enough. I have everything I need. Let me tell you something about the gospel. It's not an exchange. Do you hear me? It is, I don't know if you hear me. It is not an exchange. What you have is not what God wants. He is not looking for you to exchange with him something so that then he could give you heaven, eternity, his presence, salvation. This is not an exchange. We don't get to offer anything to him. He says, I have plenty. Ooh. 
I already have what I need, is what he says. Do you see that, Alex? He says, what you're trying, let me tell you what, what Jacob's trying to do. Jacob is trying to pay him back for what he stole. Jacob, the amount of money, the wealth that he's trying to give him is equivalent to what in those days they believed was the, what would be the blessing if you were to receive it. That many sheep, that many goats, that much money, that much, that much land. So Jacob, is, he's still trying to manipulate. I'm going to give you back what I stole from you. Esau says, I don't know if you get it, but I have enough. I have plenty. Plenty means enough. Here's, what, here's, how, I want to, here's how I want to divert it to you. What Jesus did was plenty. What Jesus did was enough. We struggle so hard with believing that what Jesus, we say it's Jesus and this. It's Jesus and that. It's Jesus, Jesus, only Jesus. I think that God, if he were here today, he would tell us the same thing. If he were to speak to us, he would say, the price is already paid. Why are you trying to buy me off when Jesus already paid the price. You know, the Bible says, it says, sins cannot be forgiven by the blood of calves and bulls and doves. Because sins can only be forgiven by the blood of something like Jesus. Why are we trying to convince God to love us? He already does. He loved us first. He loves you regardless of your mistakes. He says, I have plenty, brother. Let what you have be your own. <laughs> verse 10. You got to see this. And we're almost done. We only got one more verse. Ready? You got you to stick with me here. Because to, to me, this is beautiful. Jacob said, No. It's so hard to believe what God says is enough is really enough. I know that you struggle with this too. I know that you wonder if, if what you do is enough. Here is, here is Esau, and Esau says, I'm good. He's like, no. No, 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 no. Please, if I have found favor in your sight, then accept my gift from my hand. For I see, this. don't miss it, for I see your face as one sees the face of God. Don't miss it. At this point, he says, when I look at you, I see God. So when you look at Esau in this passage, how do you need to look at Esau? As a picture of God. Don't miss it. He is telling us, when I see you, I see God. I wonder what he sees when he sees the face of Esau. I think he sees kindness. I think he sees love. I think he sees, I think he sees restoration. I think he sees mercy. 
I think he sees forgiveness. I think he sees grace. I want you to know what you can see today if you would just look at God's face. I think you'd see kindness. I think you'd find love. I think you'd find restoration and mercy and forgiveness and grace. He says, when I see you, I see the face of God. So because when I see you, I see the face of God, I feel unworthy of all of this goodness. So, so please, please take this from my hand. All what we think we accomplished with our hands. And we forget to see what Jesus accomplished with his. And the nails that they held for you and me. Listen, I want you to see something here that you probably didn't catch here. But I want you to see it. In verse 4, it says, Esau ran to meet him and embraced him and fell on his neck and kissed him and they wept together. Esau is desiring a family relationship with Jacob. Do you see that? You don't just hug a stranger. If you do, you're weird. You don't just kiss anybody. You kiss a family member. You know, Hispanics, it's the way it is. We go to a party, we got to kiss every single person. It's the way it is. He is saying in his actions, Esau is saying, I desire intimacy. I desire for you and me to be family again. I know you think this is broken, but I desire for us to be family I desire intimacy. I want to be so close to you that I can kiss your neck. It's kind of weird, but it is what it is. My brother better not kiss my neck. <laughs> Esau wants a family, intimate relationship with Jacob, and Jacob desires a formal business relationship. Take what I have. Here's my transaction. Here's what I can give you. Let me tell you about your God and what he wants. He wants intimacy with you. He wants and desires for you to be his son and his daughter. He wants and he desires to know you. The Bible says, abide in me and I will abide in you. Abide means live in me. Take up a house in me, and I will take up a house in you. He wants to be that close. This, if this isn't who we are every single day, if this isn't a picture of how we look at our lives and our relationship with God, I just want you to understand he doesn't want transactions with you. He wants a deep relationship. He wants intimacy, and the way he did that is through Jesus. Jesus was able to bridge the gap between us. Jesus, because of what he did, brought peace, the Bible says, between us and God. That's why there's peace between Jacob and Esau, as a symbol to show us the peace between us and God. The Bible said now we are at peace with God because of Jesus. Here's Jacob, and he's saying, no, please, if, if he, look at that word, if now I have found favor, you only use the word if if you have doubt. Jacob doubts it. What has happened up to this point? Esau hugs him. Esau kisses him. 
Esau. Esau embraces him. Esau tells him, keep everything you have. I have enough. And yet, what does Jacob say? I don't know. I don't really know. Dude, are you playing a trick on me? What's going on? I don't really know if I can trust you. I know that the things I say to you here about the gospel and the goodness of Jesus and the way his blood covers all of your sins, past, present, and future, and how heaven is now yours, and you can have confidence in the assurance of your salvations through Christ Jesus. I believe that you are like, mm, I don't know. You don't know the things I've done. You don't know the things I think about. He says, if, what if? Do you ask that question every once in a while? What if? What if, man? I don't know. What if what I did last week is just like me and God were no longer cool? What if the stuff that I'm doing right now is like God is so upset with me? What if one day Jesus comes and everything I learned was wrong? What if Ralph lied to me? What if nothing is real? And what if I'm going to get judged? And what if I'm going to go to hell? What if I F, two little letters can change your whole perspective. I, F, I think that stands for I feel. Listen, if you're not careful, if, I, F, if your feelings will make you lose focus on the things that Christ has done for you. If you're not careful, your feelings, based on the things that you mess up on every single day, will make you forget the promises of God. Be careful when you question if. Be careful. Look, Jacob's in his feelings. He's in his feelings. If. Be careful when you get in your feelings over your own mistakes. And trust the Lord to cover you. Trust him that he loves you anyway. If. If I have found favor in your sight, then accept my gift from my hand, for I see your face as the one who sees the face of God, and you have received me favorably. Let's get the band up here. Verse 11. Please accept my gift. Accept my gift which has been brought to you because God has dealt graciously with me. You know what's really funny? Look at that word he just used. Verse 11, God has dealt, say it louder, graciously with me. Whenever you're, this is what they taught me in seminary. Whenever there is uh, repetition, it means something. Look at the way Jacob describes God. Gracious. Right? Okay. That's, that's verse 11. Now go to verse 5. He raised his eyes and he saw the woman and the children and he said, who are these with you? He said, these are the children whom God has graciously given me. He knows that he doesn't deserve this. He knows that everything he has is because of the grace of God and yet he's struggling. Listen, I want you to, I want you to hear this from me. I want you to understand this. Grace doesn't make sense. Grace don't make sense. He knows why he has it. Grace. And yet even though he knows that it's because of grace, he 
doesn't understand it because he still has doubt. And I know that for you, grace is hard to understand because you feel, how can God be this gracious? How can God be this good? How can God love me this much? And I remember one of my professors telling me, if you can't teach grace the way Paul taught grace, where people would be confused by the depth of God's grace, by the audacity of God's grace. The Bible says that you and I, we have received grace upon grace. Do you know that verse? We have received grace upon grace, meaning that it's grace on top of grace, on top of, actually, the Greek word that Paul uses to, to, to describe grace on top of grace is a word picture for the ocean how the ocean's waves continue onto the shore and it's nonstop. And how those, those waves, it's seemingly no end to them. Paul is saying, let me tell you about God's grace. It's like the ocean. It's grace on top of grace on top of, meaning it's never gonna stop. It's overwhelming, it's good. The Bible says, where sin abounds, do you know the scripture? Grace abounds all the what? More. And it can be so confusing though, because I know that we struggle with our failures, that we struggle with the areas in our lives that we're ashamed of, that we struggle with feeling enough and maybe you wrestle with that like Jacob is doing right now Jacob is having another wrestling match but it's with himself I'm not enough I fail I struggle and even though I believe in God's grace even though I know that God's grace has given, has given me all of this it's really hard to understand I want you to understand this God's grace is all you need in the moments that you have fear in the moments that you have doubt, in the moments where you're wrestling with your own sin and shame, the grace of God, the Bible says, is our firm foundation. We stand on it, the Bible says. We stand firm, 1 Peter says, on the grace of God. Whenever the enemy pushes you back and tries to remind you of your struggle, stand firm on the grace of God. Because God's already done it all for you through Jesus. Because everything that he wants to do in your life is not based on you earning it. It's based on what Jesus did. And here's Jacob and he reaches the end of his life and he's realizing it's not about me. It's about God's grace. And I hope that today you would leave here not holding on to the past, holding on to your struggle for the shame but holding on to grace come on holding on to grace because it's through his grace that you're saved it's through his grace Ephesians tells us that we can be called sons and daughters and I hope that that encourages you today I hope that you leave here confident in the grace of God and what it's accomplished for you I want to read this last verse first stand up with me stand up with me verse 12 it says then Esau said 
Let's journey on and go. Let's journey on and go. All right? We got somewhere we have to go. We got to get to the promised land. And he said, and I will go ahead of you. I want, to, I want you to leave here with this. When Esau, who Jacob is saying is like God, is saying that he's going to go ahead of him, it's a picture of the Exodus when they leave Pharaoh and God goes in front of them. And the Bible says that what goes in front of them is a cloud by day and a fire by night. And that cloud by day and that fire by night was their reminder that God is protecting them, that God is with them, that God is guiding them, that God cares for them, that he saved them, and that he's with them and he'll never leave them again. When this scripture says that he is telling his brother, let's go back on this journey and I will go ahead of you. I'm going to protect you. I'm going to be there for you. Hear, hear this about your God. He's already gone before. He's a forerunner. He's already gone and made the crooked way straight. He's already gone and made the way by providing Jesus. He's already gone ahead of us, and he's there for us whenever we need him. It's the God that we serve. He's ahead of us. He's protecting us. He's guiding us. And he's worth all of the praise and the glory forever and ever and ever. Amen. Amen. I'm going to pray for us, and we're going to get out of here. Why don't you bow your heads? Heavenly Father, we're so thankful for the grace that you show us. We're so thankful that in these moments when we wrestle with ourselves, you remind us that you've already done it all for us. That through your gospel, you and I, each and every one of us in this place, Lord, we have everything we need. And that there's nothing that we could give. Jesus has already done enough. God, remind us of your grace, even if it's hard to understand, even if it's difficult to comprehend. God, we're grateful that there's grace upon grace, that there's more grace than we could ever imagine for us. And Lord, today, we thank you that you're with us, that you go with us and that you're in front of us, guiding us on the way that you have for each and every one of us. We thank you, Lord, and we pray all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen.